a million to one shot, he became a true champion of the world. Because of the continuous violent blows to the head, the effects are irreversible. The crowds. My husband is retired. He has nothing more to prove. And the money are gone. You lost millions. Look, I still got my place in the old neighborhood. His title is in the hands of a new champion. He might win a few fights, but he's no Rocky Balboa. Controlled by an unscrupulous promoter. This is your medical report. It's not so good, but we can work around it. All that's left is his family. We've been down before. I'll get it all back. His heart. I gotta fight, okay? I got problems, I gotta fight. And a dream. A dream to get it all back. This is a tremendous opportunity. Opportunity for who? For you to make money for him to be disabled? carry Balboa stuff. As long as they got Balboa on the brain, he'll always be champ. Got to challenge that man to fight. And if he refuses, then you gotta insult him. You gotta dog him. You gotta humiliate him. You gotta do whatever you got to do to get him into that ring. They tell me you're a piece of garbage, you know that? No, That's it! You told him I'd fight anywhere, anytime. In the ring, in the ring. Tommy Gunn only fights in the ring. My ring's outside. Yeah? Let's do it. with Rocky Five, it has been a very fun run watching the first four Rockies. This is a bit of a transition for the franchise, and it was never even meant to be the transition point because with with, with the with the storytelling of Rocky Five, it enables them to make Rocky Balboa and then the Creed series with the Rocky Balboa character. It's a little bit more seamless because of Rocky Five. But that doesn't mean that Rocky V is necessarily good. And also, that wasn't really part of the plan. Like, this was going to be the last movie in the entire franchise. And, you know, when you watch back, in watching back, I really watch this and go, wow, Rocky Balboa actually had to happen because this movie is not everything that he had hoped it would be to close the chapter on the Rocky Balboa character. Yeah, you know, this is kind of taking us into the third phase of this series, really. Like, part one was um, sort of the chase for the championship, the t- two Apollo f- f- fights, Rocky 1 and 2. You know, the, the second part was does Rocky 3 and 4. It was about putting Rocky up against, like, you know, the biggest monster opponents they could find. And now this, this third section is kind of dealing with what happens when the star starts to fade or dealing with, like, old man Rocky in uh, who's past his peak in these two films. And, like, you know, for Rocky 5 and Rocky Balboa, they tackled on the very di- very, both in very different ways. And I think they've been received... 
you know, very differently because of that. I I didn't really know where to, where to start with this with Rocky Five because you know this is universally thought of as the worst film in the series. Like I've never really heard anyone say they think this is one of the better Rocky films. I think the best I've heard people come up with uh, uh, is you know they don't hate it. Uh, I, I don't think anyone's any much more favor more favorable to that. And I guess the f- really what I was thinking about was that you know. I probably watched this movie more than any film I claim not to dis- not to like ever. Like, um, I've seen this movie a lot more times than a lot of films I do like. Um, I, I think part of that is just because of what you said la- on the last episode in, in terms of, you know, just growing up at a time when there was so many more ways to see it. You know, I was born in ni- 1985, so... This movie, like, was on TV the whole time throughout out the 90s, you know, during that 90s period. And that was, like, kind of a time when you would just flick through the channels and see what 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 was on, try to find something to watch. You might, might stop, see Stallone and go, oh, Rocky, good. And then you'd be like, Rocky 5. <laughs> and you'd go, ah, it's better than nothing, and you'll sit and watch it. And, you know, I think probably a lot of the stations, just a lot of TV networks, just because it was the most uh, recent one in the series, you know, they paid out. They paid out their fees to broadcast it, and then they just used it again and again because it was something that, you know, people would watch. And I guess people did watch. I I said it myself. I, I watched it a, a ton of times, and you know that kind of got me thinking. Like, you know, is this film better than we thought? You know, um, with a little bit of distance, would we look back on it and view it a bit more favorably? Um, you know. Like on paper, it looks like a winning formula. You have John Avison uh, back as the director for the first time since the first movie. You've got Bill Conti back on music, and you know Burgess Meredith coming coming back to reprise the role of Mickey for one last time. And you know, it's pretty much a, a classic story. And you know, the old champion uh, taking. A young prospect under his wing and trying to guide him. You know, it feels like it should work on paper. But I say all that to say this, you know, we're now 30 years on and I still don't like this film one bit. (laughs) I'll save this for the question segment. But like you said, there is something to work with here when, when it comes to the story. I think there are elements of the story that they quickly go through that don't quite make that much sense in order to get to to what the meat of what they want is but there are there there are parts of this that I think could have been excellent but you know like you know it's uh it would what like 14 years after the first film Sylvester Stallone isn't the hungry filmmaker actor that he was he is an absolute gigantic star but that star is fading at about this point, and I'm sure his life, you know, and this is something that we didn't we don't really talk about, you know, it's Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone's life, you know, there, there were there was turbulence involved. We mentioned his uh, his marriage to Brigitte Nielsen, uh, his, his first wife, who is uh, who, who is a Sage's mom, and then there was uh, Jennifer Flavin, who is the model. And so now, you know, you see Stallone now; he's he's in his seventies, and he look and he's that the family man now. 
But at this point, you know, his life was was definitely moving really fast, and he would see him a lot in the tabloids and who he was dating and and all kinds of stuff like that. So that's part. I'm sure that's part of why this movie is a little jumbled and messy when it could have been what they wanted. But we'll get to that in the questions because I do have some of that for you uh, before uh, before we're said and done with this. So. No, go ahead. Yeah, just what you were saying. Like, I think Stallone himself said that, you know, he didn't really know what to do with, with the Rocky character at, at this time. You know, he, he was like, he, and I think part of that is re- the reason why he brought Alvelson back on, on board is just because he had so many different irons in the fire, as you were saying. You know, you know, he, he, maybe his star was fading a bit, but, you know, before this and after this, you know, he was very busy working with a, a number of different projects. And, you know, I think, like, I think. Think, you know he kind of admits that maybe his heart wasn't in it and you know I've heard other cast members Bert Young said you know we all essentially took the money and went on our way you know it, 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 and it kind of has that feel watching this film it, it's almost like you know somebody working their notice period in a job where like you know they're giving it their best shot but they know it's not building to anything and their heart's not really in it yeah, yeah, and, and you know that is that is so funny that you mentioned Burt Young because when we get down to some of my favorite parts in the movie, he's basically a one-liner machine in this movie rather than uh, you know didn't do a ton of acting in the movie, but he's like a one-liner machine. So he does provide some of the funnier moments that. Uh, I think the movie needed for me to not hate it as much as as I as I should have, being that you know I was I'm such a fan. Uh, but yeah, I I, th- I think you're right about that. Uh, I I don't think uh, Talia Shire is very good in this movie, and she's an excellent actress. Um, and yeah, uh, and I think, up, I think Talia down. was doing The Godfather Tree at the same time as this, um, and you know she was flying ba- back and forth between Europe and America for for filming, and I think that took its toll on her from everything I've heard that she was extremely tired doing this film and, you know, probably felt just like the end of a long journey of the Rocky series at that point for her. Yeah. Interestingly, she plays such an antagonistic role in this movie too. It's just like, like, uh, even, uh, Crystal and I were watching it and, you know, Crystal's watching these, these movies, uh, uh, for the first time all, you know, in order, and there was she made a couple of comments about like why is she so mad at him <laughs> like what's the deal like and so I, I don't know if they meant it that way but she definitely uh, she definitely sort of almost played uh, an overbearing like motherly role uh, for her own husband which was kind of interesting but okay well, let, let's get to it let, let, let's lay out the story here we'll do the story we'll talk about a couple of the new characters that are in here and give a little bit of history of those. Uh, we'll talk about our scenes and our quotes, uh, the whole sort of training fight scenes and the music is a little bit differently done in this movie. We'll talk about all the uh, the facts that you can find on the Internet. Uh, and, you know, the, this movie was supposed to end in a specific way that, that it didn't. And then we'll go through our uh, questions and pet peeves before we give our MVP. So we start at the beginning, the old montage that that we've learned to love and probably hate at the same time going back to uh you know in in rocky four they started with the eye of the tiger song which we wondered if it was just so they could put it back on the soundtrack uh and you know go back to more of a classic montage with uh, the rocky four um drago and rocky montage and 
interestingly, this is gonna. This is almost too big of a of a thing to be a pet peeve, but the day the like the the movie basically starts with Rocky being in the shower right after the Drago fight. I didn't need the uh, the naked silhouette of one Sylvester Stallone, uh, but I mean he's jacked. He's in great shape, and uh, he is having trouble calming himself down there's his hands are shaken his whole body shaken interestingly he does not have a towel on to maybe heat him to give him some warmth but adrian notices that there's something going on with him he accidentally calls her mick and so something going on rocky you know we're, we're leaning towards a, a possible brain damage situation with uh, with our favorite character but they fly back home and when we last saw young Rocky Jr., he was about eight or nine years old, I'm assuming. And out comes this 13-year-old child who looks absolutely 100% different from the uh, what we knew as Rocky Jr., uh, played by Sage Stallone, Sylvester's own son. Um, so because I didn't want to put that in the pet peeves, because it just stands out like maybe the most ridiculous in in a series of ridiculous things like this one just even when i was 13 and i saw this i was like what in the hell like they they the way that they aged him was just lazy so bad well just the t- like we talked about the timeline timelining a little bit in the last one but this one it's like it's definitely way off because like there's no way to interpret this other than you know this is picking up directly after Rocky coming back in from Russia, like and and they see a few parts uh, throughout it where like you know oh maybe they they cut out a few months here and they're just showing you you know further on down the line, but uh, like you know Rocky's talking to Adrian, he's saying like oh yeah I'm, I'm just coming off my, my 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 one of my biggest performances of all time, so like in this storyline this is meant to be just happening just after the Drago fight. You know, Talia Shire looks radically di- di- different than she did in the previous movie. Yeah, um, five years. She's 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 five years older. Um, obviously, the, the, the son has has aged as you, as you, as you said, like three, four, five years. And then, like the other one for me, which is just like stuck in my craw a little bit, is just like it feels like this whole new heavyweight scene has appeared. Mm-hmm. Where like you've got this union cane coming up, and like just out of nowhere, it's just like you know, and like they're talking about like there's no challengers and all this. It's just like if Rocky's stepping aside, like shouldn't people be talking about what about Drago who just took <laughs> this right. life and de- <laughs> de- 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 dead battle? What, like they're talking about this paper champ, like getting getting his shot at the title. It's just like <laughs> it doesn't really, it doesn't really add up. There is there is a lot of interesting things about how the media and boxing in general portrayed in this film. In some instances, I really like it because it feels a little bit more reflective of how boxing really is. And in some of it, it was just like so over the top. So uh, we are introduced to George Washington Duke, who is a Don King knockoff, all the way down to the catchphrase. Oh, OK. Like, I do not like this character at all. Um don't get me wrong. I love Don, I love Don King, and but I, like I love kind of how the Rocky series does this. Usually with like you know these 
little nods like you know you could talk about um say we spoke about um the ali influence on apollo or maybe the freddie brown influence on on mickey and things like that to me this is just too on the nose it is just like they got a guy and told him play don king the it's lazy right like if you think about it from a rocky universe perspective the only promoter that we see is miles jurgens in that first movie and really he just is there to take a back seat to apollo creed and we are not introduced to another promoter until this film and it's so different from how we interpreted how boxing worked in the in the first four films and rocky even mentions it in 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 scenes in this movie uh basically saying you know mick was my manager and he kept me away from these guys and that's what i want to do for you so the just the idea of a promoter is not even really involved in in this in the movies uh, up to this point. And then now we just get this bombastic hit over the head. And I get it. Like, like Don King is, is, a, is a celebrity at this point, right? Like he's a, he's a absolute tremendous con man at the same time, but people know who he is. It just comes across as lazy and uh, a caricature rather than a genuine character. Yeah. Like, is this like, was it, was this kind of a case of Sloan thinking like, okay, this is, my commentary on boxing right now because it was just like there's a lot of things that I thought about like but firstly the king character and just kind of you know him manipulating the rankings to get this like paper paper champion up, up, up into a title fight um like the things about like you know certainly like it's very um known about Don King is like giving guys big cash advances to try to lure them away from his promoter lure them away from their, their current current teams um, and things like um, you know like you see in the fight between Union Kane and Tommy Gunn King obviously was promoting Kane beforehand and afterwards he leaves with the champion a lot of that is very very reflective of Don King and I was just kind of thinking of other stuff that was happening in boxing at that time and you're talking 1990 of course you're talking about Mike Tyson Buster Douglas Mm -hmm. and one of the things that um George Washington Duke says uh, when he's challenging Rocky, he's talking about putting the fight on in Tokyo. Mm. Which, like, mm-hmm. I assume mm-hmm. that's where 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 that idea came from. And yeah, I it, catch that. Um, and yeah, I think I suppose the other the other thing I'd I'd just say ab- about it is that um, you had kind of a very fragmented heavyweight division where the belts were flying around a, between a lot of different fighters particularly before that Mike Tyson fight with Douglas, uh, you know, that late 80s area. And then after after Tyson was beaten by Douglas, we saw uh, the, the same thing kind of happen again, in, like after this film came out. So I, was, I wondered kind of a little bit if this was a, partly a commentary on the heavyweight scene at that time. And I guess interestingly, one of the things about that is one of the people who really benefited from that fragmented heavyweight scene which i'm sure we'll talk about later was uh, tommy morrison mm-hmm. absolutely that yeah that's an interesting tie-in um so there is uh there's a scene where stallone does a post post fight press conference in a in a like a airport hangar or something 
the journalists go after him really, uh, really like hard. Uh, Adrian is protecting him here again, and she announces his retirement. And the the, the media is just laying into him. How can you? How can you retire now? Well, what what about you know th- this fight? You know this guy here, the this promoter. You know, you need to answer us now. And I was like, wow, I, I don't remember the media being that uh, that forceful in, in in getting answers. But but maybe uh, maybe that's I, I guess Philly, you know, in Philly uh, and in New York, they have a little bit of a, a mentality that, that they're harder on, on the sports and the athletes. But I was just wow, the media is going after our guy uh, Rocky here. So basically the next the next part of this movie is really the pivotal point in telling this story in, in how they go from riches back to rags. And it's the age old story of power of attorney, Paulie and why he is in charge of something like this gives power of attorney to their accountant who makes some bad investments and was trying to flip some money. And now Rocky and Adrian are broke. They thought that their mansion was paid off, but instead they owe four hundred thousand on it, and uh, they they basically have to do an, an estate sale uh, because they are broke. Now we can talk about this now. I, I would rather talk about this now than in the questions because I did have some thoughts uh, about this. Uh, how does the power of attorney story age for you here? Not great. I feel like, you know, like, and, and they do, to be fair, they do kind of say that, like, you know, Rocky was trying to take legal action or what, what, whatever against his attorney. But I don't know. I, I, I feel like this is a blatant violation of the law on the behalf of, <laughs> of um, his, his accountant. And I think they made a mistake just with the direction of this story. I don't think this is, like, I think they were in a position where, you know, they wanted to push the reset button. So we'll put Stallone back, or we'll put Rocky back into the walk, the lifestyle he had back at Rocky 1 because we've done everything else. And I think that was a mistake just because people had invested, you know, four films at this point buying into this underdog character and getting him to the top. And yet, and yes, the story of like this is a very, very real story of like what happens in boxing. A lot of the times, guys make a lot of money and they don't they don't save a lot of money. Like they 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 end up you know at that later stage of their career where they don't have anything in the bank and you know when their health's starting to fail them and they still have to fight on and things like that. But it's not a story we like, and I don't think it's a story people wanted to see this character have. Okay, let's take a quick break from the Rocky podcast and let's talk about our sponsor, Deal Dash. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. 
If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. So you can go to DealDash.com and use the offer code FightGame or DealDash.fm front slash FightGame. That's D E A L D A S H dot FM front slash F I G H T G A M E. You know, this goes back to whether or not Stallone had ideas for three films or four films or five films as he's doing the media route for this film. He is telling people that he that he always wanted to do it as a as a five parter. We know that in other interviews he had mentioned uh, it was going to be a three parter, and then that that's how he wanted to end it. the The argument against him really thinking about it as a five parter is in Rocky Four. You could have had a scene where you know we mentioned the scene where the boxing commission doesn't allow him to defend his title. There, there could also be a scene with Adrian about, look, you know, we have these issues, like we need to take care of these issues now, and now you're going to go out and fight in Russia. And there could have been a little bit of, of a tie-in to the fourth, fourth film, but that's, that's how you know that he had no idea that he was even going to do this in, in this way, because there's no tie-in to, to anything. It, it would have been a nice, easy thing to do to make this scene makes sense and so um that 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 is another pet peeve that i didn't really want to handle into pet peeves because it was kind of too big to just be a pet peeve it's a real flaw it's like a fatal flaw in this film um so uh rocky uh can't uh he can't fight because he's not going to get licensed and he can't uh do any commercials (laughs) because he has a record from his days being a leg breaker. Another thing that kind of uh, kind of is frustrating because he was doing commercials and he still had the record of being a, a leg breaker. And in Rocky Two, he just sucked at them. And he'd been doing commercials in Rocky Three and in Rocky Four. We we saw the entire opening to Rocky Three as him on the cover of magazines and pitching things and stuff. So. That doesn't really fly either, but that is the, the that those are the flaws so far. So uh, Rocky, because he is back home, and because he has to show us that that he is uh, not the the same Rocky from Rocky Three and Rocky Four, he decides to put on his old clothing, including the hat from the first Rocky. Uh, he does not bring back the rubber ball that he bounced uh, in the second film, though. I, I want to see the rubber ball come back. So the uh, he meets Tommy Gunn, who's just kind of hanging around trying to meet Rocky, very similarly to how Adonis Creed would do so in the first Creed movie. And very similarly, Rocky doesn't really want to do want anything to do with him because he doesn't feel like he could be a good trainer. And uh, Duke is continually bothering the family. Adrian is still speaking for Rocky and Duke is using that against Rocky to make him feel like, you know, he needs to actually step up and, and be a fighter again. And, um, Adrian goes back to working at the pet shop, which we only really see one small scene where this happens. And 
like it's mostly other, uh, it's mostly out they're outside like you know looking at it from across the street there's only one one small scene where she's actually in the pet store yeah and then it's never brought up again and the idea is is that she's gonna work at the pet shop rocky is gonna work at the gym all of a sudden like the gym goes from dusty and unkempt and not even functioning and then you blink your eyes and it's back to being a gym and Rocky is, is running it and he's he's got fighters. So I don't know how that happens. Like, where did he get all of the fighters from that he's like looking at as prospects? That That's also a little bit uh, not not mentioned. But uh, but that that's kind of the scene. But, you know, the Adrian thing just kind of goes away. It's there for one scene so she can keep an eye on him and she's across the street and it allows her to intercept Duke, who is trying to get talk Rocky back in the ring. Adrian comes running across the street. So, you know, uh, another lazy bit of filmmaking. Uh, interesting note here is Kevin Connolly, who is E in Entourage, big time HBO show from several years back. He is a young, he is a young man in, in this, and he basically plays a bully to Rocky Jr. And then when Rocky Jr. stands up to him, they are buddies. But he plays a little, he plays a little, uh, like a little, a, a little rebellious kid. Uh, and uh, Paulie gets to, gets to call him chubby one time to just to make fun of how chunky he is. But he becomes E in Entourage and successful, successful actor in, in television. So Rocky finally agrees to train Tommy Gunn. He puts all of his energy into Tommy, makes him feel like, you know, he's He's a little bit born again. Um, and Tommy Gunn's first fight w- under the Rocky tutelage is in the same place where Rocky fought Spider Rico. Very quickly, he gives Tommy Gunn his Apollo trunks, which was seemed like, see, I don't know, those should have been a little bit more sentimental to, to the Rock. Uh, That's like, one of my pet peeves. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rocky Jr., uh, gets bullied, like I said, by by Kevin Connolly. And as as Rocky is training Tommy Gunn, Rocky Jr. is also training so that he can get his coat back from this bully. Uh, Duke is starting to slide in on Tommy Gunn as as Tommy Gunn gets uh, successful, and you know he's got he's got a few fights under his belt. His sole purpose, though, is not really to get Tommy Gunn as a fighter under his. Uh, promotion, but it is really to try and get Balboa back in the ring because he knows that's really where the big money is in. Uh, they Rocky and Tommy Gunn only have a handshake agreement. Duke is telling Tommy Gunn he's in Rocky's shadow. All the media, the boxing magazines call him Balboa's boy, Balboa's puppet. And so Tommy Gunn is getting frustrated that, you know, he is not really his own fighter. He is just a byproduct of uh, Rocky Balboa. And then Tommy Gunn signs with Duke. Duke gives him a check for 20 grand. He gives him a car. And I'm, I'm basically telling Tommy, like, Tommy, do you, don't you know that this is going to come out of the agreement that you eventually signed? It's not giving it to you for free. Uh, and uh, Gunn gets a title defense. He, he, he wanted a title defense. Rocky wanted to bring him along a lot more slowly. Under Duke, he gets a title defense against one Union Kane, who was uh, George Washington Duke's top fighter, Tommy do uh to- Tommy Gunn knocks out Union Kane and he wins the title. You see a nice Al Bernstein uh cameo as, as one of the media after in the press conference after Gunn wins. And basically Duke says, "Look, you know, if you want to get out of Rocky's shadow, you got to get him into the ring." 
And so uh, Tommy Gunn looks for Rocky. Rocky and Polly are having beers at the at the at the local bar. And Duke's like, you got to get him into the ring. And they kind of have an argument. And Rocky's like, no, like my ring is outside. Tommy Gunn has punched Paulie in the mouth and that really infuriates Rocky. And Duke basically says, look, dude, like you are, you, you can't, you can't get what we need in a street fight with this guy. And, you know, you're going to ruin any possibility of, of having a real fight with this street fight. But for whatever reason, Tommy Gunn is so angry with Rocky. Like, just like this part does also doesn't make sense to me. He's so mad that he has to have a street fight with this guy. And it's just like, kill or be killed all of a sudden. So they have a great fight. Great street fight, by the way. If anybody says one positive thing about this movie, the choreography and just the way that they shoot this street fight is, is really great. It, it is the best part of the entire movie. Uh, so, uh, finally he, 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 uh, he, he uses his street savviness. I think, uh, Terry Funk is a choreographer uh, on this, uh, on this fight scene and you see some wrestling moves. Like there's a drop German, toe hold. German suplex. German suplex. <laughs> there's, um, Rocky grabs Tommy Gunn, twists him around and holds him and starts punching him in the back of the head. Uh, and then uh, Rocky finally wins. And at the end of the movie, after he's just gone through this hellish street fight, Rocky and his son back together again, climb the steps, run the steps. Uh, to The Rocky statue is at the top of the steps. And, and the movie ends. And, you know, the, one of the, the, the ways that you can tell that they really intended this to be uh, to be the last film, and we'll talk about this when we talk about the movie and the training montages, is the 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 end scene the the credits roll and it's all photographs of from the first four films so it was almost like a signifying okay this is the end this is you know you won't see another one of these and you know without actually telling us that like that's what that signified to me we'll talk about that more in a second One more break from the Rocky podcast to talk about our friends at Bet Online. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicked off, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Horry, aka Big Shot Bob. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they are calling Fandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. And now, back to the Rocky Podcast. So our new characters here, we have George Washington Duke, played by Richard Grant, who is still working today. I think he's like 76 years old. He was, he was actually, in um, CB4. And, yes, um, he was in CB4. And uh, The Big Lebowski as well. He was also more. he was also in Crush Groove from 1985, one of the one of the first uh, commercialized hip hop movies. Uh, you have 
young Rocky, like we said, played by Sage Stallone, who died in 2012. His role here was really bad, but there's a scene, I believe it's in the first Creed movie, where old man Balboa is kind of thinking about his life, and there's a photograph of him and Sage. It is, it, it, you're supposed to, I mean, it's a two-way thing. If you're, if you're a fan, you know that Sage passed away. But in the movie, it signifies that Rocky Jr. is kind of, uh, you know, not not really in touch with uh, with Rocky at this point. But it's 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 a just it's just a moment because the if you're really close to the series, you know that how meaningful that photo probably is to him. And they used it to you know to get a really good dramatic effect in in the first Creed. Uh, Tommy Guns played by Tommy the Duke Morrison. Uh, you mentioned him before. He gets in the mix uh, Tom, after this movie. T- Tommy would have been up at this point. He, well, I think when this movie came out, he would have been a 20 and 0 prospect. Um, you know, he he was the guy who had a, like a, a okay run in, in the amateurs. He uh, he went to the Olympic trials for the Seoul Olympics. He lost to Ray Mercer. And, you know, Mercer would be kind of a little bit of a turn in the side because, you know, a couple of years after this, in his first uh, shot at the world title, he lost to Mercer. He did go on, though. You know, when we talked about earlier about kind of the fragmented heavyweight scene, he did during that, like, uh, like I think it was 1993, he beat Foreman um, for for the heavyweight title. Um, He had one defense and then he lost it to uh, Michael Bent. Um, There's a very good documentary on on Bent's run as his title on Netflix um, in a series called The Losers, um, which I would recommend people check out if they wanted to uh, learn more about that. Um, and, you know, Bent then pretty much lost the title in his first defence to Herbie Hyde. Hyde l- lost it straight away to Riddick Bowe. And then Riddick Bowe had one defence and then he vacated it. So that's kind of what the heavyweight scene was, uh, you know, just shortly a- just shortly after this movie came out, where, like, you know, I think, you know, d- 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 this movie's kind of playing into into what, 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 what the heavyweight scene would become and what it had been in, you know, the 80s prior to that, where you had kind of, you know, a, 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 a titles very, very fragmented and a lot of different people picking up belts. There's also a documentary on Tommy the Duke Morrison, uh, ESPN, I believe it's ESPN Plus. I think it was like one of their first ESPN Plus documentaries, the 30 for 30. And... It is. It is sad because he is. Um, he, you know, he he was propped up as probably better than he was, due in part to this movie, and just due in part to the fact that he's he was a white heavyweight, and that and that's you know historically boxing has always chased that. And then because of his newfound celebrity, um, he really lives a, a, a really sad second part of his his life. He uh, he gets HIV. Um, and he is one of those people who today you would probably call a, a, a flat earth truther or something because he tried to tell people that he did not believe that this virus was in his body. He was going to heal it because of God and didn't didn't really believe in science too much. And, and you know, he he so his last days, obviously, he he dies from complications he died and, in um, in 2013 at the age of 44. And you know the the thing that sucked about it is you know he tried to 
box knowing that he had it. He had sexual partners after he knew that he had it. So, you know, just a very irresponsible uh, way for him to kind of end it there. But yeah, 44, very young. And, you know, I think most people, when you watch this this movie, you see a very young guy. And, and, and look, he is not a fantastic actor either. He's a boxer. He's there to be aggressive and to make these scenes look as realistic as possible. Uh, but you know, he, he, he does become somewhat of a star because of this movie, even though the movie in of itself, uh, isn't reflected on very well. And so, you know, throughout the, the years, everyone would sort of know who he was and I'm sure he got many more chances because of that. Yeah. I think like, you know, probably his last big fight you know he fought Lennox Lewis um, a few years in the late a few years later in the late 90s and he was beaten by Lewis and you know shortly after that he was diagnosed with HIV um, there was also the the guy who played Union Kane was mm-hmm. also a professional boxer Mike Williams I think his record ended up being 22 and 6 a little bit before Rocky would have came out like he'd He'd ran up a 13 and 0 record. Um, then he fought Tim Witherspoon in 87 and he was he'd lost a decision to him. And then he fought Buster Douglas in 88 and lost by knockout to, to Buster, I think. Um, and I think much later in his career, he fought um, Corey Sanders and lost to him. So he, he fought three world champions, uh, Michael Williams. Um, but the reason why I bring him up is that there was talk apparently that at one point they were going to do the fight from this movie in real life (laughs) Mike Williams against um, Tommy Morrison and it kind of at that time would have made sense because Morrison was 20 and 0 20 and 0 and hadn't really fought anybody and Williams was the guy who'd obviously as I said been in with Top top flight heavyweights like Witherspoon and Douglas, so, even though he'd lost them, so it kind of would have made sense as a matchup. I think it didn't go ahead. I, like um, I don't know whether there just wasn't that much interest. Like I think the reasoning for it was that like you know Williams got a, got an injury and then they started pushing forward with uh, in, in in another another direction and in, in, instead, but. Uh, it, it 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 does seem like one they were they were at least thinking about for a while. I mean, it would have made sense, too. I mean, it would have been a little bit of a... The, the boxing media would have, you know, would, would have criticized it heavily. But, you know, it, it would have made some sense there. So, um, yeah, I was going to bring up Union Kane, too. So, so g- good one with that. Uh, okay, so if you were to make a Rocky video game... They did. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm saying if we, were, <laughs> if we were to do one right now, and in this video game, <clears throat> you have every possible person who who has been in the rocky universe as as a fighter for the amount of lines that union kane actually gets in this film and the amount of time that he actually gets in this film when they put him in the ring man what a disappointment like the most disappointing bad guy fighter in 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 the rocky universe i think yeah, it's 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 kind it's kind of an odd one as well because, you know, you don't get much out of him in the way of boxing. And that's another one of my pe- that's going to be another one of my pet peeves in this. It's like this is the first time they gave two boxers kind of more high profile roles in in the film, and there really isn't a lot of boxing in it. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's all clips, but we do get, you know, the championship fight between Tommy Gunn and Union Kane. I think it's a one rounder, but, you know, you get to see uh, you. I think you see a little bit more of, uh, of Sly hitting the bag than you do of the actual fight. But we'll get yeah, to that. It's, it's, it's not presented as like as in the other films where you have this built up main event fight. It's just kind of like Rocky's watching it on TV and you're kind and, of yeah, you're interested in watching Rocky watch watching the fight <laughs> rather than watching the fight. And it's a weird time thing, too, because by the time Gunn signs with Duke, he's literally in the ring like a second and a half later. And I'm like, oh, like. There's no training camp. Like nothing's going on here. I just a, put him in the a, ring. A Duke, a Duke is rigged out, thing like he's uh, <laughs> like Paul Heyman or something. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about favorite scenes. Um, this film. This will be short. It's it's going to be short, and I will say that, you know, I probably um, I'm, I probably added a few that I wouldn't actually call great or. Even my favorite in the series, but more so favorite from this film. And there's bits and pieces of these of these that I like. So I think the first one, and and I said that the fight was the best thing in the film. I still think that, but in the non-fight or the non-training things, this is the best thing in the film. It's cheesy, but it's still great. It is Rocky. He is depressed. He goes to Mighty Mix. And, and Mick, when Mick passes away, Mick... Uh, gives the uh, I guess the deed to the to the gym to in, in the name of Rocky Jr. and so that's how Stallone or that's how Rocky gets the gym. But you know Mick had been dead for like you know four years or something and they never did anything with it. Um, and then Rocky is kind of living through his memories and he relooks at a scene uh, before the second Apollo fight, which is never, it's not referenced in any of the films. So it's kind of like a new thing. They get Burgess Meredith back to do Mick. And he's basically trying to tell Rocky that, you know, when, when people get older and they get lonely, like sometimes they don't have the will to live on, but Rocky has given Mick the purpose that he needed and that he's going to take care of Rocky and not only in the boxing world, but also outside so Rocky can take care of himself and his family. And Burgess Meredith, like, he hits this one so far out of the park. Agreed. It's the, like, just um, so great. Like, he's in this movie for such a small amount of time, and it's quite possible that he's the most valuable part of the entire movie. And, um, you know, what, what, what we would understand later is this is actually a Customato speech, almost word for word, that Customato had given to Mike Tyson, right? Yeah, um, and that's something you mentioned uh, in the very fir- first episode. And uh, yeah, if you, if you want, like, if people want to watch that, if you go to YouTube and you, you s- s- search Customato M- M- Mickey Goldmill. You'll you, you'll you'll be able to see see the, those uh, interviews side by side, and it's a beautiful interview. Cus gives just basically saying, you know, Tyson is what's keeping him going, and that's kind of the sentiment that comes across. And to me, like the reason we even tolerate this film <laughs> is because of this scene. Like, this is one of the best scenes in all of Rocky. Like, I can watch this a thousand time, times over, and that's the only kind of redeemable feature. Like, I have one scene that I like in this movie, and this is this. There's a couple of others that I, I kind of will, will shoehorn in, but, like, this is the one scene I actually really like in it, and uh, 
it's just it, Burgess Meredith is so so good and there's so many things I just like every line in it is just delivered so perfectly it's just magical ah come here Rock my god you're ready ain't you that Apollo won't know what hit him you're gonna roll over him like a bulldozer an Italian bulldozer you know kid I know how you feel about this fight that's coming up because I, I was young once too and I tell you something well, if he wasn't here, he, I probably wouldn't be alive today. The fact that you're here and doing as well as you're doing gives me, what do you call it, a motivation, huh? To stay alive. Because I think that people die sometimes when they don't want to live no more. Nature's smarter than people think. And nature is smarter than people think. Little by little, we lose our friends. We lose everything. We keep losing and losing till we say, you know, what the hell am I living around here for? I got no reason to go on. But with you, kid, boy, I got a reason to go on. And I'm going to stay alive. And I will watch you make good. And I'll never leave you. And I'll never leave you until that happens. Because when I leave you, you'll not only know how to fight, you'll be able to take care of yourself outside the ring, too. Is that okay? It's okay. Okay. Now, I got a little gift for you. Oh, man. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Really? I don't need nothing. <laughs> Look at this. See that? This is the favorite thing that I have on this earth. And Rocky Marciano, give me that. You know what it was? His cufflink. Huh? And now I'm giving it to you. And it, it's got to be like a, like an angel on your shoulder, see? And if you ever get hurt and you feel that you're going down, this little angel is going to whisper in your ear. He's going to say, Get up, you son of a bitch! Because Mickey loves you. So the second, I have a slight pet peeve with something just being a little bit of a stickler. We'll get to that in the pet peeves, but um, to show that Rocky is back in, in you know where he where he kind of uh, grew up in Rocky One and Rocky Two, we see Father Carmine all over again, and this scene is is more like sort of like a, an ode to the first two films, which is why I like it. But there's another thing that I like about it is basically Rocky wants Father Carmine to bless he and Tommy Gunn in their new relationship. Boxing is, is a tough sport. Please watch over Tommy Gunn as he tries to make it as a champion. And so he he basically tells the father that he has a couple of, you know, he, he wants him to say a, a few blessings. And he's got two reasons. And he uses one, and then he gives the reason. And instead of using two, he gives B. So he he flip, he's like, the first reason and B. So I always thought that was kind of funny. But you know, they're playing this whole brain brain damage thing. But that one always always made me laugh every time I watch this film. So that's why I shoehorn this into my favorite scenes. Um. There, there's a, a third scene that is both my favorite and my least favorite, um, or I would say one of my favorites and my least favorite at the same time, which is Rocky is trying to explain to Tommy Gunn that Duke is just a con man and that he is not going to take care of him. 
and he's just using Tommy Gun to get to Rocky, and Tommy Gun is in his convertible with with his uh, his lady friend, who God, she's got to be like fifteen years older than him. Um, and and they uh, and Rocky's trying to explain it to him. Tommy Tommy just drives off, and Rocky gets like this. The, the, just the sound uh, gives him this headache because, you know, he's got the concussion stuff. And so Adrian comes out and she scolds him for caring about Tommy Gunn. And instead, he needs to care about his family. Now, she puts him in his place again. And he is feeling... Uh, and and he, he is upset because this thing with Tommy Gunn didn't happen. But he ex- in his explanation to her... You really get what the core of this is about for Rocky. He's had everything taken from him, not only the money and the house and the cars, but the sport and really the only thing that he was good at, which was the whole storyline for Rocky too, right? Like he's good at one thing, not good at everything else. And if you think about that, like from a confidence standpoint, from a self-esteem standpoint, if you were really good at something and it was taken away from you, like that would probably send you into a depression. So he's probably somewhat depressed. And so he's explaining this to her. Th- this made him feel like himself again. This made him feel successful. And that made a lot of sense. Doesn't make a lot of sense to Adrian, though. She doesn't have any, <laughs> she doesn't have, like, she doesn't have much sympathy for him and continues to scold him. Uh, and and kind of puts him back in his place because he is feeling a little bit sorry for himself. So I really like the Rocky explanation part of of why he is so bothered by this thing with Tommy Gunn. I do not like the Adrian part where she ba- basically has no sympathy for this guy who a uh, is experiencing concussion syndrome, uh, b gave them a great life, and c lost it and is now kind of bummed out about it like she doesn't really give him an opportunity to, to feel bummed about this so kind of a good and a bad at the same time and then the last one for me is we talked about the union cane fight and uh, tommy gun is is uh, punching and, and, and you know i mentioned to you in, in, a, in a past one one of my pet peeves with with the whole series is that the trainer kind of sets up when the the comeback happens in the fight like in in Rocky uh, three, Apollo uh, I'm sorry Clubber Lang's trainer just has to like go now and then all of a sudden Clubber Lang just starts beating the crap out of Rocky. Rocky is not with Tommy Gunn, so he does this by osmosis, and he's he he ta- Tommy's fighting and Rocky's like Tommy do what I'm doing do what I'm doing boom and he hits the heavy bag and then Tommy crushes uh, Union Kane. He's like do what I'm doing slip the jab go to the body boom. Tommy Gunn knocks Union Kane out. So Rocky did it, you know, he he figured out a way to not be there and still do the trick that is a pet peeve. But the reason why I like that scene is because Stallone, anytime I get to see Stallone hit a heavy bag or a speed bag, like seriously, like I get such a kick out of it. And just the, you know, just Rocky, just, just him being very charismatic through this whole thing. And, you know, he hits the bag and Polly's eyes get big. And then he screams because Tommy Gunn win and, and Adrian shakes her head in disgust. Like just, you know, it, it's a goofy scene, but in the whole shoehorning, 
I will say that it was one of my favorites out of this film. So that's all I had, and I really had to try on two of those. So is there anything that you wanted to add? And if you say no, I totally understand. I have two, and they're barely scenes. <laughs> uh, one of them is to just, as you mentioned, Tommy's first fight being back in the same hall that Rocky fought Spider Rico. I just like that because of the throwback aspect of it. And did you notice that the uh, that that guy Jimmy is back uh, in the corner? Who was? I think he was only in the first Rocky, where he was with uh, um, with Mick. Uh, he's a little tiny guy, and he actually also I is. Got that? Yeah, he's also helping. Uh, Rocky Jr. and you know train and learn how to hit the bag and stuff. But yeah, J- J- I think his name is Jimmy. Uh, he he may just be credited as like Jimmy the trainer. He's just a little guy too. He's probably under five feet tall or maybe five feet tall. But he's in the he's in Rocky one and then he's here in, in Rocky five. And the other one that I I, lo- I kind of like is just the at the very end of this movie where he runs the steps with his son and you know. He gives him the cufflinks that Mick, Mick had gave him, and it just—it just kind of—it feels like a nice positive ending to what's kind of a pretty miserable film. It feels like Rocky's in a good place, and you know he's prioritizing. Like Adrian's gone through to him, and he's prioritizing like the things he should be prior- prioritizing. Um, and yeah, it just kind of that playing into the credits sequence, as you said, where you know you have this lovely montage of all these still great still photographs from 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 all the years and all the previous rocky films like that's the like i think it kind of finishes on a high note uh, despite everything else and so uh the quotes again not a lot of great ones and so i'm i'm shoehorning a, a lot of them here but also they're just kind of punchlines in, in you know there's no uh, they're just kind of like jokes the the one the ones that i like um only in America, I don't feel counts because it's just, you know, doing Don King. But they mention that time and time again. There, there's, a, there's a part of that that I was going to actually mention that I liked. Um, it's just, and this is just very much because it is such a, a Don King to, to do. Like after Duke is talking about, you know, putting this uh, fight on in Japan. And he, and he, 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 he calls it letting it go in Tokyo. <laughs> he, he, he like he excuses himself and goes only in America, <laughs> which I just like that because that's very much what Don would do in that yeah, situation. Exactly. Uh, okay, I think you know, nature's nature is smarter than people think. This is kind of leads into the the scene that we just talked about with Mick and Rocky. Like, that's the line that kind of kicks off that whole scene. I really like that line. You can take nearly any line from that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Paulie has has some punchlines. He, I don't know, he's not, he's either not mic'd very well or he's, like, talking gibberish so you can't really understand some of it. But there's a, there's a scene where uh, Paulie goes, like, I ain't got feelings. That's how wars start. And it was right after Rocky was going to talk to his son before they walked him to school. And Rocky's like, Polly, you know, can me and the kid have a little bit, just have have a quick chat. And he's like, like, I ain't got feelings. That's how wars starts. Uh, And so someone mentions Mark Twain. Oh, I loved it. (laughs) And Polly's like, who's Twain? And Rocky looks at him and goes, oh, he was a painter. Uh, There's a... There's another thing, and this is this is really silly, and this is where I'm talking about. I really have to stretch for some of these. 
Rocky doesn't know what cojones are, but he says cajones. He's like, what are what are cajones? And uh, Polly goes, oh, uh, cajones is uh, Latin for Spanish nuts. <laughs> like so stupid, but it just stands out as a, as as a punchline uh, that that makes me laugh. Um, maybe the funniest line in the whole movie is when Tommy Gunn comes to the bar. And Rocky's like, okay, you know, I know what this is. I got to go outside and talk to this guy. And these two big dudes go, hey, Rock, you need some help? And Rocky goes, ah, come on. This ain't no pie-eating contest. That one, that one cracks me up every single time. Rocky Balboa. What the hell is that? Rocky Balboa, there's a man out here wishing to speak with you. Rocky Balboa. Rocco, you know who that is, huh? Yeah, I know who that is. Oh, Rocky, you need some help? No, guys, ain't no pie and contest. Uh, it, you know, uh, Tommy Gunn knocks knocks Polly down because Polly kind of shoves him and is is like, you know, like, how how dare you? Rocky took you into his family, and Tommy Gunn just throws a left cross and just cracks Polly right in the face. And Rocky looks at Tommy Gunn and he goes, "You knock him down. Why don't you try knocking me down?" And that kind of kicks off the fight. So I always loved that line. And Tommy Gunn goes, uh, Duke goes, you know, only in the, you know, not only in the ring. And Rocky goes, my ring is outside. I would have taken you any time. Tommy, you're a piece of garbage, you know that? Hey, this ain't none of your business. Ain't none of my business. Come on, boy. Ain't none of my business. Boy, forget about it. The man spit blood for you. Put your head in his own family. And you, you bring these rat bums around here. Tommy, huh? Tommy, you got his dignity? Rocco made you your shot, you know that? He's a real champ. You're just a goddamn joke. Now, just get out of here. Bring Tommy, Tommy, come on. What are you worth then, huh? Paul, are you okay? Let go You should have left them on the street where you found them. Get off me, man! Get him out of here, huh? Murder. Get him out of here! 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 Tommy! Get off me! Now you knocked him down. Why don't you try knocking me down now? No, no. In the ring! In the ring! Tommy Gunn only fights in the ring! Get out of here. My ring's outside. Yeah? Let's do it. So, end of the film. George Washington Duke basically uh, says Tommy is trash. Rocky knocks out Tommy in the street fight. Uh, you know, George Washington Duke's like, ah, you, you outclassed the bum. And then he looks at Rocky and he, he sees that Rocky, you know, is a little frustrated with him. And he's like, you know, punch me and I'll sue. And Rocky just throws like this uppercut to the gut from hell that lifts Duke like five feet in the air. And he looks at him. He looks at the crowd that's watching this fight happen. And he goes, sue me for what? And then that that ends that that whole thing. Least favorite line in the whole movie is when young Rocky Jr. is trying to inspire his dad in this street fight. And the one way he does it is he says, he took my room. Oh, my God. I wanted to punch young Sage in the face for that line. But, uh, okay, that's mine. What, any Any others that you had? And there's one at like um, at the start when Rocky's talking to the press. Um, what is the press say? Like you know, doctors are recommending boxing be banned. Uh, do you agree with that? And Rocky goes, uh, "Yeah, absolutely. For doctors should never fight." <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah, uh, I mean, brain, brain damage. Rocky has some good sayings. He has some funny things. 
uh, and and you know funny punchlines like that where you're just like sometimes it seems forced, but sometimes it it actually is pretty funny. And there's another bit. I think it's when he's walking his son to school, and like somebody shouts out one of the doors. She's like, "I'm oh, whoever's mother." And you uh, used to use his, his head as a punching punching bag back in the day. And he goes, "Oh yeah, it was a nice head." And she goes, "Yeah, welcome back." <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a good one. I forgot about that one. Um, and w- 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 another one I I liked, it kind of more serious one, is just when he's talking to. Adrian outside the the pet store and they're both kind of going their separate ways and he says Adrian did we ever leave this place and they they can kind of the traffic is kind of pulling in around them and she just kind of shouts over and it goes I don't know I I just that was what like Adrian doesn't have a lot of good moments in this film I thought that was one of her, her better ones there was actually emotion in her voice that had nothing to do with uh you know uh shouting him down or whatever like that was the one where she was just like that's a good point rocky i'm i'm not sure and the other scene she's basically saying like stop stop treating your son terribly get away from this guy quit being selfish so and yeah another one like the press are are like rinse and tommy for like feeding up this paper champion <laughs> one of the guys goes fact is tommy god was a second rate fighter with, with so much glass in his chin he, he, he should have been a chandelier <laughs> and then there's a there, a Stu Naham who we talked about last time he's not a commentator in this one but he does play a, a reporter and he makes a he makes a, a cut down of of uh, Tommy's uh, Tommy's date there at the end which was pretty mean spirited but oh, yeah, probably yeah probably kind of funny for 1990 not as funny in 2020 um, uh, yeah then the last one I just again is when Ro- Rocky and his son are you know they're walking up to the, the museum steps and uh <laughs> Robert says, "Like uh, you love Picasso," and Rocky just says, "Well, I I love pretty much everybody." I mean, that encapsulates the character, right? Like that's yeah. like he just he's just that's he's just a happy-go-lucky guy, and he, you know, as we see in the first the first film, he will take hits to his own emotional well-being so that he doesn't become the you know further butt of the joke and and so he just kind of that's just kind of his mentality he's like ah you know people can people can think about me the way that i want and it's not gonna bother or i'm gonna try not to let it bother me okay so the soundtrack to this film is quite different than the soundtrack to all of the others. We talked a lot about the Rocky Four soundtrack, which was actually very successful when it came to uh, record sales as and singles. Like you actually had music on that soundtrack that uh, charted uh, on Billboard. Now I think they tried to do the same thing here, but this is it, definitely the weirdest soundtrack. Yeah. It, it, but it was it was pretty much a fail when it came to commercial success, and even in uh, you know even in like when when you think of songs in, in the franchise, like I rarely hear anybody go, oh yeah, like you know that one song from Elton John in the credits. Even though I get a kick out of that song, like no one you know you I guess maybe people will talk about "Go for It" from Joey B. Ellis. Uh, but otherwise, like, you know, I mean, you had MC Hammer, who was, you know, he he is just about 
um, a year I'm, after his peak, and he was still, he was, but still very well. Like like that would be the Can't Touch Us came out in 1990, and and that was kind of I I feel like that's kind of what they were going for initially. Yes. You know, you what, you had like you know Can't Touch This, you had an Ice Ice Baby out around that time, and I feel like that is kind of the sound they were trying to capture, and it it felt to me a little bit like when WWE try link up with music, where mm-hmm. it just feels a little bit out of touch. It's like, oh well, this is what the kids like. Let's give them some of that without kind of really knowing what they're doing. That's what this one felt felt a bit to me. Like you know, as you said, Hammer does have two tracks on it. Neither of them are actually used in the film. Um, like uh, we mentioned, Bill Bill Conti, and they do use like the Bill Conti numbers. Gonna fly now is in this film. Um, the Mickey song is in this film. Um, uh, Conquest is in this film, but none of those are on the soundtrack. And the sound, the, the, the Bill Conti track that is on the actual soundtrack is horrible. Um, and, uh, yeah, and yeah, it's just kind of a mix. Like there's stuff like MC Hammer, Rob Bass. Guys like that just uh, kind of putting on com- commercialized hip hop of that time, and it just it doesn't really work. Um, the two like there's only a handful of those songs are actually used in the the movie, and one of them is the Go for a Tune uh, by Joey B. Ellis, and the other one is Keep It Up by 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 Snap, who Which were sa- samples Eye of the Tiger, right? Mm-hmm. They're a kind of Euro dance group. They did that song "I Got the Power," and which uh, is a gr- which is a fantastic song. and and rhythm is a dancer. Like those are kind of their big hits. But um, yeah, and then there's you know there's another version. There's "Take You Back" is again you the third one that's used in the film is "Take You Back," but it's it's a there's a rap version of this, mm-hmm. and it's by a group called the Seven A Three. Do you know anything of them? I do not. Okay, so I don't either, but I was just looking them up because it's like, who are these guys? And they're Los Angeles groups with the great producer Muggs. Oh wow! Who, who a year later would go on to form Cypress Hill. Wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah, you and know yet, what, you know what's you know what's so funny about that is, you know, when I was like, okay, like, who, what are we going to talk about on the soundtrack? I was trying to find information on Joey B. Ellis, and there's not a lot out there actually. There is some, but I didn't even realize that the uh, that that the group you know uh, of this was actually a, a group that that did this version of "Take You Back." Yeah, and um, yeah, then the the fourth song is the one you met. Me- the fourth song that's actually used in the film is the one you mentioned, the Elton John one. That's uh, that, that, that's in the in the credits. Yeah, it really felt like. Um, you know, M- MC Hammer gets tapped to do this soundtrack uh, on his, uh, I think the busted imprint of his label. And that's how Joey B Ellis kind of gets involved because hammer signs him. But I guess Joey B Ellis had a previous career where he was a, a Philly rapper. And so there's a tie in there with Philadelphia that they would do, they would use so much better in Creed, like the, the, the first Creed, there is a music scene and there is a uh, like a like a motorcycle not not a motor like a motorbike scene that is really close to Philly that makes that that you know th- those scenes really organic and here they could have done something similar with Joy B Ellis because he is from that area but I feel like they didn't really take advantage of it um, but you know to me these are probably. Uh, songs from the uh, from the can't touch this uh, 
um, time frame that Hammer's like, ah, this is, I'm just not going to put this on my album, but yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll put it on this, you know, on this Rocky soundtrack. They, they, they feel like, you know, side B songs rather than actual stuff that, it, that Hammer would, would put out for real on his stuff. Um, and then say, similar with the, with the Elton John, the Elton John song is so syrupy and so like he, he, he could probably write a song like that in his sleep. And it works for the end credits, and me and my, me and my buddy uh, would always get a kick out of it because there are parts of this song where Elton just goes for it, and it's like, okay, like you didn't really need to go for it in, in this song necessarily because we would just get a kick out of it. Um, but yeah, the the soundtrack it was it was a flop. I had a version of it on CD um, because I traded. Uh, uh, I think I traded like an old R and B album just so that I could have the uh, the measure of a, of a man and go for it on uh, on CD like so I had a copy of this but not very memorable like I, a lot of people don't even really you know I think they thought that the go for it was going to kind of be because hip hop is 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 being a little bit more commercialized in, in early in, in this time frame and they figured oh you know we got to keep up with what's hot and it's not you know it's not heavy guitar rock songs like five years ago now it's hip hop. It just it just felt like uh, fake, you know. It yeah, really disingenuous. Um, yeah. I guess one of the things I was gonna ask you about because this is very much in your wheelhouse. Like I was trying to think of what songs they could have used if they wanted to go this direction. What songs they could have used that would have worked better? And there's one that just screams out to me. It's like I cannot believe this was not the case. And 1990. Hello, Cool J put out, mm-hmm. Mama said, knock you out. Yep. How was that not in this movie? Like, if it was actually Rocky doing, like, as the fighter, I don't think it would have really worked. But the, as, like, for the scenes they had it, which was just Tommy knocking guys out mm-hmm. and just being this this reckless brawler, probably seems pretty per- perfect. Yeah, and it, but it would have been a, you know... The, they are looking at hip hop as like, oh, who's the most famous rapper? Oh, it's MC Hammer. Not knowing that MC Hammer to the art form of hip hop wasn't necessarily looked upon as, uh, you know, really good. He was looked at as a great businessman, but he wasn't looked at, you know, from from the art standpoint. And LL kind of was able to both be commercial and critically acclaimed at times in, in his career. And Mama said, "Knock you out." Would have been um, it would it would have been a great get, but it probably wouldn't have been great for LL for that song to be remembered in this film. So it probably works out better for LL. But you're right that that would be a perfect song. But actually, I like "Go for It" as a song because it does use the line from Rocky Three, um, and you know they try and get they try and get it over with with Sage. Uh, a couple times he says it, you know, when he's when he's with this bully and when he's with uh, when he's with his uh, telling his dad. But the problem is that they <laughs> they they forced it so much by trying to shoehorn it into the movie as this, you know, lingo from Stallone that you, you know, it's one of those things where the song isn't organic because you have the song title before you actually wrote the song and you had to write right around the song title. I actually like that song for 1990s hip hop and for a montage because it's very montage But 
it's just it's it's done in such a commercialized way that again like we said disingenuous that's that that's the main problem if they didn't try to like if it was a more organic attempt i think the song is fine like the joey b ellis just did not become a superstar. If he did become a superstar, and this is kind of something you could look back on, then we, we may think about it differently. But I don't think the song is the problem. It's just the way that this whole movie works. Uh, it is just not a, you know, it's not an honest movie in many ways. And, and I think that also relates to how the soundtrack works. Okay, so let's talk about the, uh, the fight scenes and the montages themselves. And I think the go for it montage with Tommy Gunn, what we just talked about, it is uh, it is more similar to the opening to Rocky Three, where Rocky Three is just going through a, a bunch of guys, and you know, there, there's the the boxing isn't good. It's it's really just Tommy throwing like these wild punches, and even the boxers themselves, they they just look like schlubby guys. Like there's no there there's you know just looks like normal dudes. Except there is a uh, on the marquee was Henry Tillman. Did you notice that? No. Yeah, Henry Tillman, who would make the Olympic team over Mike Tyson. Like that's his claim to fame. Uh, but he was on one of the marquees, and I was always wondering, like, is Tommy Gunn fighting him, or is he on the undercard of a Henry Tillman fight? That was pretty interesting. Um, the fact that it's Tommy Gunn though instead of Rocky, I think, makes this montage. Not so memorable. I don't have a problem with it, but it's just just like a lot of things with this film, it's just not memorable when you think about what a great training montage is. Yeah, I feel like they kind of took a shortcut with the training montages in this. There's two of them. There's that first one. And I think what they try to do, they try to do what they did in Rocky 3, which is, you know, set up the premise of the film with the montage and why I don't think it worked is because you know you'd already built Rocky in Rocky 3 everybody knew what his deal was and you just needed to establish a dangerous challenger what they tried to do in this montage was kind of build the relationship between Rocky and Tommy Gunn over the course of a montage I think that kind of came across as they were taking a shortcut and you like I don't think that I think that's the fundamental flaw in this whole film is that they never really establish like um a connection between between Rocky and Tommy Gunn so then when they take it away it doesn't really impact because I like it, it, to me Tommy Tommy and Rocky you, you never really get that that they, they click as a you know a manager and, and a fighter. And, you know, I think a big part of that is, like, they try to tell that whole story of, like, showing a few clips of them, you know, Tommy winning fights and him training with Rocky and that being the connection. And it just didn't work. And the second montage, like, that was that was the go-for-it montage. And the second one, the, uh, the, the, the one they use as the snap song, is um, it's kind of... do it, showing the opposite it's showing them on the, their, their relationship disintegrating where Duke is kind of muscling in and Tommy's getting disillu- disillusioned uh, by like Rocky not being able to get, get him get him the, the, the big fight yeah yeah for sure um, okay so <clears throat> when it comes to the fight scene I, I, I said that at the beginning I really love this fight scene it is actually kind of like 
I don't know if you want to say it's two or three because the 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 way that they show Tommy as this really bad guy is they have Rocky basically beat him two times and he comes back with cheap shots. Yeah, and, blindsides them twice. And then Rocky looks to be out and out out of it, and it looks like he's he's gone for, but he sees Mick basically saying one more round, you know, and that inspires him to get up, even though he looked like he was uh, he was out of it. And so maybe it's four fight scenes in general because of the of the multiple comebacks. And and I guess if you if you do want to have a uh, a negative thing to say about it is 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 that part, which is it seemed like they they make you feel like it ends uh, a few times. But I thought the choreography was great. The only problem is that it's in the street, it's not in the ring, and I think I think people really hold that against this scene. It's choreographed really well. It has like these, you know, these, you know, this stuff stuff's not going to happen in real life. I will have some pet peeves about it in, in in a second, but just as an overall fight scene, I really enjoy this every time I watch it, and um, it's never going to get the credit it deserves just because of this film. Stallone has said himself that he thought he made a mistake. Uh, he like he he kind of recognizes now that what the fans wanted was to see a boxing match, um, and you know this was the wrong way to go. I'm kind of of the same opinion on that, um, and that was I guess going to be one of my questions for you. And I know that you like this scene, but like Tommy Morrison always kind of made a big play that they should have had a proper fight in the ring where you kind of had the chance to build it up. Do like, instead of doing the montages they did, if they had like, you know, the actual Rocky training montage of him getting in shape to fight, fight, to fight Tommy Gunn and then building it up as this big main event fight. Do you think that would have saved this film? Or do you think it would have been looked upon more positively now had that have been the case? It's a good question that the problem with doing that is what you just mentioned. Like, we we don't even really understand their relationship. And if you're going to have that thing end in the ring with, with the idea that Tommy is this new killer after we just saw Rocky beat Drago... Like Tommy Gunn is not built up in the same way as Drago. He he just looks like a you know a young amateur who who Rocky is is teaching his his methods. So I think if you do do that, you would have to have had the Tommy Gunn character be in two films instead of just one. And in one of in maybe in this film, he goes on this dominant streak, and it's just the class of the division. And Rocky is there with him along the way. And when he's the, the champion and he's got tons of title defenses, you know, maybe he beats a, a Clubber Lang, you know, who's holding on just to show that, you know, he's able to beat some of the guys that Rocky had beaten. Then you do the, the next film where Duke comes in and steals him away. Cause then you have Tommy Gunn as an established champion. Here, he's like, you know, he's a paper champion. And so the whole fight. The whole fight scene would have to, or the whole rise for Tommy Gunn would have to be done way differently for a fight in the ring to even matter. Okay. Uh, 
you know, the, the end credits, like I mentioned, it's a really nice touch. It doesn't really mean as much when he comes back for Rocky Balboa, but I still get a kick out of it because it does feel like there's a bit of finality. And uh, and when this movie is done, and when this movie is finished, even though I don't like it, I still get a little sad because I'm like, ah, you know, the, the character as it was supposed to be what was, was going to be done. And and then, you know, when, when they come back for Rocky Balboa, it, it is 16 years later. So uh, there there was finality for 16 whole years. Do what, what did you think about the way that they ended this movie? Now, as I said, I th- like that is the part that I liked about it. I did think that, like, you know, they ended it on a hopeful note. And I, I liked how they did that. So that's kind of the part that makes me think that, may- like, if that was, it was a good ending that maybe if, you know, if people found the conclusion of, of to- Tommy and Rocky's story a little bit more satisfying, it may have been a little bit more forg- forgiven uh, over time. I guess, you know... There's, there's two things that kind of co- come up, out of this, which is, you know, without this film being kind of the failure that it was and or the disappointment that it was, would there ever have been a reason to like, like you know, you know that old saying, uh, like setbacks paved the way for comebacks. You know, was this film a necessity to set up, you know, the comebacks those years later? You know, for Rocky Balboa and Creed One and Creed Two. If this had have just been kind of a satisfying ending, do you think that probably would have been it? And I suppose the other, like, uh, you know, going hand in hand with that is like, do you think they learned from? the mistakes they made in telling the protege story in this one, and they improved on those on Creed. Absolutely 100% agree with both of those points, because if this movie ends and it's good, we don't have Rocky Balboa, because I don't think he will feel the need to do that film. We may still have Creed, right? Because that it would actually be... Um, a pretty good setup for Creed if this movie was actually good. But instead, because it's not, we have Rocky Balboa, which is a good setup for Creed. It is actually a really good setup for Creed. So I completely agree with you. Um, And, you know, that's why I called it in the beginning of the show. I called it a transition because we, if you don't have Rocky five, if this goes from Rocky four to Creed or from Rocky four to Rocky Balboa, we would feel like we missed a lot. And so they they told some of that story here. They just didn't do it well. Okay, so let's talk about some of the facts of this movie, some of the internet research. Uh, did you notice the national sports page uh, in, the, in the beginning when they were talking about that Rocky is broke and that he's, he's uh, you know, all the stuff that, that, that happens is uh, one of the newspapers is the infamous sports page called The National, which uh, lots of writers wrote for and I really loved. And also uh, our, our own uh, our own friend Dave Meltzer wrote for as well. I thought that was a nice little little touch there. Uh, just to it kind of like, you know, in order to you have... Ever talk, talk, talk with Dave about that? I, you know, I, he wouldn't even... I, I doubt he has probably even seen Rocky five except for maybe once. But I, the, the, what it does is it basically tells you exactly if you see that picture of that newspaper, you're like, okay, well this movie had to be during this time. Cause that newspaper lasted like a year, I think. So, um, uh, 
uh, there's a character that's brought back in Rocky Balboa. Rocky calls her Little Marie. She's from the first film. Uh, And she was originally supposed to be brought back for this film. All the scenes were cut out. And then I guess Stallone just saved the idea for Rocky Balboa. So Little Marie was supposed to be uh, reintroduced in, in Rocky V instead of Rocky Balboa. Yeah, I've heard that, and like I wasn't able to spot it, but that she is watching the street fight. You know, that th- that's the one part that's still there. That she is in there watching the street fight at the end. But you know, I I didn't, sp- I wasn't able to pick her out of the crowd. Uh, I mentioned a thing with uh, Jimmy the trainer is back. He's he's sort of like not even mentioned. Like I don't think Rocky even like says anything to him or about him. He's just there. Um, and, uh, so one of the, the original ending for this movie was going to be that Rocky was going to die after winning. I'm assuming he was going to win the street fight, but after winning the street fight, Adrian was going to take him to the hospital. And so, uh, John Avildsen was interviewed and I think it was, uh, gosh, it was probably like 2014. And here's how he described the ending of the movie. He says, um, at the end of the movie, he is on his way to the hospital. His head is in Adrian's lap and he dies because he's taken this great beating from Tommy Gunn. Uh, And the last scene of the movie, Adrian comes out of the hospital and there's a world press, uh, there's the world press assembled because Rocky, uh, you know, he's a big deal. And she announces that he is dead. But as long as people believe in themselves, Rocky's spirit will live forever. And he said, when he read that, he said, wow, what a great way to go out. What a beautiful ending. So they start shooting the film. And a couple of weeks into the shooting, he gets a call from the head of the studio. And they say, oh, by the way, Rocky's not going to die. Batman doesn't die. Superman, James Bond, these people don't die. And so he said um, it was the major change in the ending that he thought hurt the movie most. I still think it's it's a bad movie, even if you flip that. He says, so Rocky didn't die, but the movie died because that was the point of the movie. The film uh, ended up grossing $119 million, the least of any film in the series. Yeah, this was the this was the only film in the series that was commercially a disappointment. Um, but to, 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 on your point, you know, I think we should thank our lucky stars that Avilson didn't get his way in the in that because I feel like this would be the most hated film of all time if that was actually the ending. Um, not like because. The, the issue is that like it's a, it's not just killing off the Rocky character; it's doing it in a bad film, and people would, you know, that people would be disappointed in the film, and then kind of have to come to terms with the, the, it, it ending with the ca- character dying. Like you know, I think if the Rocky character was to die in, say, the Creed films, where you know the characters had some closure, and you know they're good films, and you feel like. The legacy is well established, and I think people would be would be quite accepting about that. Uh, you know, if we had a do- if we killed off at this one, I think people would have just would hate it till this day. And we also it would have meant we would have never got those th- three great films that f- followed. Yeah, I I, th- I probably would have been so depressed seeing and, that at the theater. And like I've read, I have you read the, 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 like you, you kind of outlined what 
Avalon said it was going to be like there. It, on the Total Rocky website, they have the script for the original screen there. Uh, 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 the, the original scene there, which people can go and read. Have you read that? And like, uh, no, for me, I it didn't sounds, know it was there. For me, it, it it sounds it really comes across poorly. Like I was just like, this would not be a good ending at all. Yeah. So you know, a- Avildsen, he's talked about this movie a lot now, and I think it's because you know he's so uh, he identifies with that first movie so much. And we've talked about how the second film, he decided that, you know, he he had another thing that he chose over it. And he thinks that, you know, that was probably a mistake. And then he comes back for this movie. Now, this is the first one out of the sequels that Stallone himself doesn't direct. And I think some of that, and this is just a guess by me, it's not anything that I've ever read, but I mentioned how Stallone's star was on the descent. And I think some of that was people were basically saying like, you know, you keep writing this stuff for yourself. It's it's an it's 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 a one-tone thing. And so this was his way of like distancing himself from that and just being an actor because also at this time he was really trying to go away from the action film stuff. Like you would see him shortly thereafter do some comedies and do Stop some like... My, I think Stop or My Mom Will Shoot what was the very next film <laughs> after this. Yeah. Uh, but, Tango and Cash and stuff like yeah, that. I, 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 I think, and I'm not 100% sure of this, but I think they, they might bookend this film. It's like Tango and Cash was the last one he did before it and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot was the last one after. And then, you know, into that 90s period, you saw him do a kind of whole bunch of these characters like um you know the cliffhanger movie and demolition man and judge dread and all the the, daylight all these type of movies which he had kind of mixed results on but as i said i think he probably had like you know a lot of irons in the fire just trying to find something that was going to work you know he's probably kind of thinking okay my run as rocky and rambo is kind of up here and we need to find what the next thing is yeah yeah. And, and look, you know, he he's typecasted at this point, right? It's hard for him to find real roles where he could actually show off the acting chops that he did in the first Rocky, because whenever you hire Stallone now for any part, you're like, oh, that's just Rocky in this movie. So I, 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 I could understand why why he felt that way, too. So uh, Avildsen also said, <laughs> that, you know, when he, he directs Stallone in this movie, he's like, yeah, you know, the first film, you know, he, he's really trying and, he, you know, he, he really is like owning this thing. And by the fifth film, he's just, you know, he's a movie star. Like he doesn't really have time for, <laughs> for much. And so it, I, I kind of took that to say that, you know, he probably wasn't the easiest person to give feedback to uh, at that point. So uh, another thing from Avildsen, he says when shooting the film, he felt that the cinematographer, whose name was Stephen Poster, was overlighting many of the scenes and thus negating the realism of the piece. He told Poster he wanted the film to look more like the original Rocky, which had been lit by James either Crab or Crabe, oftentimes using a single spotlight to light an entire scene. Poster told Avildsen that the original film looked like a cheap documentary. Avildsen responded to this piece of criticism by smiling and saying, exactly. Um, well, my, my thought on this is like, you know, the first film is a beautiful looking film. And this one ages like really hard. A lot of the effects and stuff in this one, uh, I think age really, really poorly. 
yeah it's it's i mean it's an interesting thing like to to try and go back and recreate something that was almost perfect right like it's always going to be a pale comparison no matter what they did which was you know and and stallone i i saw him on um there was a an interview that he did on the phil donahue show right before this movie comes out and he said that the the idea for rocky five was that the dream was going to be over and he had to get back to like the reality of the person instead of the superstar or the rock star uh, that Rocky had become. And he said he wanted it to end back in the streets and he didn't want the character to become a self parody that those were his words. So, um, I always thought this was pretty interesting (laughs) and I'm, I'm kind of glad that they took this out too, but originally the scene where Rocky is knocked out during the fight with Tommy Gunn, you know, he he goes into, he hears Mick's voice telling him to get up. And he said, originally, uh, it had Rocky remembering the fight with Clubber Lang, which is, I'm assuming the one in which Mick dies thereafter. And afterward, he sees Mick as a hallucination on top of the subway tracks, telling him to not give up. So instead of doing what they did, they, they uh, which is just like a, a flashback, they, they were going to put Mick as a ghost on top of the subway tracks in the same moment. I'm very thankful that they did not do that. Yeah, that didn't need to happen. All right, so we talked about the box office. This does, in North America, it only does $40 million, which was uh, about... Almost ninety million less than Rocky Four did in North America. Uh, Rocky Balboa, though, is not like it did a whole lot more. Rocky Balboa only did seventy. We'll talk about that in the next podcast. But you know, it, Rocky Balboa, I think, for Rocky fans, is a very well remembered film. But it did not really bring the franchise back to what it was. Um, which but I, it also came in with a lot more modest expectations. Oh yes, the 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 budget that, was almost half of what the Rocky Five budget was. The Rocky Five budget was the the biggest budget of all uh, of those first five films, and the um the only budget that was higher in the in in the in, in the whole series is, is Creed Two, and we're talking like you know thirty you know twenty eight years later or whatever. Um, okay, so uh, overall, does one hundred nineteen million worldwide. And uh, in other territories, so internationally, it does 79, which is not terrible. So it's almost like the international audience flocked back to see the movie almost, uh, almost not not quite uh, the previous film because Rocky Four was such a was such a behemoth, and Rocky Three as well. But it, it seems like it was, uh, you know, from a box office standpoint, the international theaters did uh, come back more than the North American ones did. All right, so now let's talk about the uh, the questions that I have for you. There's not many, and and we'll get through this fairly quickly. I'm assuming uh, this one is kind of silly, but did they do boxing press conference? Like, what what is the idea of doing a boxing press conference at like an airport hangar when you just get off the airplane? Like, were they mimicking something that that it, it happens in boxing? Like, what was the idea behind this? I I. I don't know on that like the only thought is that like you know maybe the press couldn't go to russia yeah yeah 
And, you know, this was their first opportunity. Like, this was akin to their, their post-fight press conference. Yeah, that actually makes some sense. I wish they would have uh, explained that. Um, okay, so are we to believe that after all of these years, Polly kept the home that he and Adrian lived in before Adrian got married to Rocky? Like, this... Th- like, that is what... That's what the story is, yeah. That is, that is what they're t- telling us. The same guy who gave power of attorney to the accountant to lose the film was smart enough to go, you know what? That house, I should probably not sell that. I should just probably keep it and, and maybe rent it out. Like that, that seems like uh, a little bit too much uh, thought process for for the character. I was, th- I thought that was a little bit of an easy explanation of where they were. Able maybe to it was back. just one of those cases where, like, it was out of sight, out of mind. Like they had all this other money coming in, and they just ah, whatever, just leave, leave that house and forget it, forget about it. <laughs> um, so. Do you think Stallone overdoes it with like sort of like the the brain damage and the way that he talks and uh, kind of, you know, he, he becomes like because, you know, in, in Rocky one and Rocky two, he's, he's not a very smart guy in Rocky three and Rocky four. He's much uh, he's much more of a, of a linguist. Uh, but then in Rocky Five, he goes almost backwards even further. Like it's kind of an interesting way to show, uh, you know, to to go backwards for the character. Yeah, I think like he kind of explained it, like the way he explained it, the way way was more that like you know, the injuries he got were more kind of like uh, immediate post concussion stuff. That that's what the Rocky Rocky was dealing with in the in this movie, and that's why he he was kind of cleared up a little bit by the time we come we come back for Rocky Balboa um, I did think maybe he w- was a little little bit heavy on that side of things okay and then there's a nickname that somebody gives Tommy Gunn in this movie that is the single worst nickname of any fighter in the Rocky series now we've had great nicknames in in this series, uh, Apollo are, Creed. Are, are we to believe? I'm not 100 percent sure on this, but like, does that nickname only come in when he goes with Duke? Yes. So does, are we to believe that like Duke came up with this? And Duke's kind of a, a cr- cringy character, so that would well, I think no, I, add up for me. Actually, I think this nickname comes from the media, but they they mention it before the heavyweight title fight. So great nicknames in the past, right? You have. Apollo Creed as the Master of Disaster, the Dancing Destroyer, the Count of Montefisto, great nicknames. Um, uh, and, and you know, they had some some for uh, Drago as well, the, the Siberian Expressor, and there was some like that. But this one, the media, right before the fight, they go, some, you know, s- s- some believe he's just a, a byproduct of, of, of Rocky Balboa, and they've gone as far to call him the Clone Ranger. Single worst nickname, even worse than Mason the Line Dixon, who we will meet in Rocky Balboa. That was that's one that I also dislike a lot, but this one is the worst. Any like it, it, it must not have bothered you as much as it bothered me. <laughs> that way, it didn't bother me that much. <laughs> it's kind of a small thing, but <laughs> okay. What do you think of the media's role in this movie? In the baiting that they do with both Rocky 
and Tommy Gunn. Like, you know, you you've um you followed boxing for a long time. You know how the media sort of works today. But like just just outright like bashing, you know, the the guy who just won the heavyweight championship in Tommy Gunn and trying to get Rocky to announce whether he's retired. Like just they were so aggressive. Like I I'd never seen media like that. No, neither, neither have I. Yeah, maybe things have calmed down since those days. No, like we have seen some highly unprofessional boxing media. I think both of us have, but uh, I don't think we've anything quite as uh, aggressive or attacking as, as we saw on this. Okay, so this is what I kind of pre- uh, talked about earlier, which is. Could you remake this movie and make it good and not really change the story so much? Because I think there's a version of this movie with a real actor, a a real child actor, um, and a little bit of a better telling of the beginning of this movie where... You could actually, you know, you're not going to make it an A plus, but I think this movie could be a B instead of the C minus that it is, and I feel like there are, you know, th- there are things on paper that had ha- had you maybe had a little bit more thought put into them um, that that could have actually made this a good movie. Like, do you feel that way, or do you just feel like no matter what, the way that you know the way that this thing works is it was going to be bad? I feel like. You know, it could have been definitely better. I, I I don't think it would ever would have been one of the great Rocky movies, but I feel like if they had a... I think the two keys to this are, like, you know, the relationship between Tommy and Rocky and the relationship between Rocky and his family. And, you know, and, uh, like, the... I suppose those two, the, the balance between Rocky trying to maintain the balance between those two two things. I think that's kind of what the the whole interesting aspect of this is. And you know, it, had they been able to establish you know more of a relationship that you cared about between Rocky and Tommy, I feel like you know Tommy's betrayal would have been a lot more impactful, and you would have been drawn into that final third of the film a lot more. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you have any questions for me? Um, you know, this is the last film where Talia Shire is in, and you know we can talk about the other side of that next time around. But just like as closing out her character, do you feel like you know this was a disappointing end for Adrian's character in the Rocky series? You know, she has been like very important throughout it. I feel like you know maybe she gets it this film kind of sells her a little bit short. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I really feel like they used her in an antagonistic way, almost because the other two technically bad guy characters in in, in Duke and, and Tommy Gunn, they're more like cartoon characters than they are real, uh, real established, well thought out characters. You know, they're copycats in a sense. And so, you know, you have some uh, some weight with with the Adrian character and what she means, and I almost feel like they 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 knew that you know that this is this character is probably our best chance at getting some depth out of out of what Rocky's going through, and and in doing so, I think it makes her 
look uh, pretty mean, uh, very annoying, and uh, pretty frustrating. Now, you know, her, I, I don't like her character in Rocky Four either, and she's barely in Rocky Four. Like, she's not even really a focal point. And you, you know, Rocky Three, she's actually really good in, in Rocky Three. But you know, so the last two films, she she's a little bit, you know, she she's kind of you you could see she's being not that she's being written out, but her character doesn't mean as much when there's not really a um I guess a reason for for the Rocky character to to have this conflict with with uh with another fighter, right? Because in in Rocky three, she gets him to basically, you know be okay with, with being vulnerable. And in Rocky four, she's, it's not about her. It's about avenging Apollo. And then in this movie, it's not about her. It's about his, him having everything taken away. So she's such a small part of the four and five that I don't know. I think they just, they knew that they still had some weight with her. And so they used it, but she's just such an afterthought to me that it's kind of frustrating. That's one of the things that I don't like is that her character is just kind of there and it's, it's not interesting at all. And the other person who's mostly missing in this movie, apart from the very start, is the real Duke. Um, oh, yeah. Much needed. He he was needed in this film. He he was needed in this film. And do you think, like, when Rocky addresses him at the start, he calls him Tony. Yep. And he's in the credits as Tony. So do you think they just felt they couldn't have two Dukes in it? In the one film, is that what, what, what why you got forced out on this one? Yeah, that's so <laughs> WWE that, thing. <laughs> that's so interesting. Like I was always confused about the differences in what they called him, and I never put that together. But that's probably that's probably the reason. But I, I mean, you know, there is a person in in the in history called Washington Duke, uh, and I'm assuming that's where they, they got the name from. George Washington Duke is probably not the most thoughtful name uh, for a character in, in this movie, but yeah, for sure. And plus, you know, Tommy the Duke Morrison, is he doesn't go by the Duke in, in this movie, but that is what everyone knew him by and would know him by after. So yeah, kind of kind of interesting. The, you know, the thing about it is, is where where does where does Duke go? I'm assuming he just goes back to Delphi and and is you know training people there, and you know they don't need him until Rocky Balboa. Oh, I have one last one actually, right? And I, this is only what I t- thought of at the very end. Um, we are to believe that Tommy Gunn is the heavyweight champion of the world at, at the end of this film. Still, yes. What happened to him? Where does he go? You, like you know, he like the heavyweight champion of the world gets beaten up in a street fight on national television by like the old champion, and you know he's still the heavyweight champion of the world. Where does his story go from there? Well, I mean, if Bill Watts was the promoter, he'd get fired as the champion. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think they are setting him up as a uh, paper champion beating a paper champion. So he's probably he probably doesn't have a long uh, he probably doesn't have a long a long title defense. And you can't make money with the guy anymore because he, he got beat up in a real fight out, outside of the ring. So, yeah, I would assume that he probably loses uh, his confidence and thus loses maybe in his first defense uh, of the heavyweight title very quickly. And then, you know, just goes off into the ether of uh, other lost 
lost to rocky bad guys like Clubber Lang and, and Ivan Drago. Maybe that's what happened to him in the Michael Van fight. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Let's talk about some pet peeves. In a, in a movie, which is a gigantic pet peeve, I'm like really digging for like super specific things here. But we talked about our favorite scene, uh, our favorite scene in Nature is Smarter Than People Think. So we are to believe, and Mick says it, he's about to fight Apollo, I'm assuming for the second time. Rocky is so gigantic from just from his looking at his back. It's clear that that is not the same shape that he would have been in in Rocky 2. Obviously he's his body changed. So why didn't they just make that scene about Rocky 3? Is it because in Rocky 3 he already had the cufflink? Because if Mick says, you know, before this fight with uh, Clubber Lang or whatever, it's right before he dies, right? Like so it would ma- it would be a little bit more meaningful to Rocky being super sad. But just his body-wise, I could not believe that that was right before the second fight with Apollo. Also, maybe because Rocky loses that fight. True, true. Um, but he does get up ultimately. Like it's it's the turning point in his career where you know he was he he did have to get up and prove himself that he was actually a good fighter. So, but that yeah, that's always been a problem with that scene for me. Um, here, here's one which is kind of funny in hindsight, and it's just sloppy writing. But when uh, Rocky is having issues with with Rocky Jr. and they're over for, I believe it is Christmas Eve, and uh, Polly comes down as Santa Claus, there uh, Rocky is so frustrated that his son is not into this Christmas thing with his three teenage friends, as if it's not embarrassing, <laughs> and. Uh, Rocky Jr. is basically saying like, you know, this is stupid and stuff. And Rocky goes like, you know, we like we did this last year. Like we had we had a great time. And unless two years have passed, he could not have done it last year at Christmas time because he was in, in Russia. Russia fighting Drago. So just a little, you know, I didn't little, even I didn't even pick pick up on that for your right. Lazy bit of writing there. And then the last pet peeve, which is um, if. If media, if a television camera is picking up that, that this going to be mine as well. Street fight is happening and there's a crowd of like a hundred people. A nobody like jumps in front of Rocky and it's just like, no, we you know, you you have brain damage. We're not letting this crazy guy come after you. And the cops don't come. Like, how does this fight happen with nobody getting arrested, no cops coming, um, nobody, like, jumping in front of Rocky and grabbing him and and taking him away? It's just allowed to happen as if it's like a a human cockfight with people betting on who's going to win. No, that that was one that, to me as well, was like... This this needed to be explained somehow, and, and possibly like I think the best way to explain this was just they didn't put it on television. Like, what did that really add to this? Because at least if that went, that it could just be like you know the story was only the people in the neighborhood ever knew about this. Yeah, I just, so the way to get Adrian is someone knocks on her door and is like, "Hey, we need you over here." Like Rocky's in, in a fight instead of like you said doing the TV thing. Um, okay, what so was that really your only one, or did you have another one? Okay, so yeah, there was obviously the timelines were, were one. There's that, that's one. Um, 
uh, kind of the issue with just not really building up the bond between uh, Rocky and 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 Tommy, and uh, the the the, the, um, the other one was the one I mentioned as well was uh, like they decided to bring two boxers in. Uh, to the cast for for this one in in la- larger roles, and they did very very little boxing bo- boxing with with them, and yeah, one other one that just like I'm trying to understand Adrian's motivation in this one, in that she every time the idea of Rocky being hurt or that he can't fight anymore comes up, she's quick to shout it down. She does it in the press conference, and she does it in the doctor's office you're like nobody finds this out right uh, and like in, in to the doctor and in 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 the press conference she's like oh no there's there's nothing wrong with my husband he, there was just a you know just does just standard I- issues after a fight he's absolutely fine she doesn't want rocky to fight anymore why is she protecting the fact that he's or hiding the fact that he's injured like the, the book closer for his career is just essentially saying you can't fight anymore publicly. Right. So if she, if she allows the public to understand, it sort of helps her argument instead of making her to be the bad guy. Yeah, exactly. No, that, that's a great, that's a great one. And that is the type of, that is the type of thing that I think is missing from this movie, which is the explanations for the reasons that things are happening. And it's it's really, they just leave you to believe, you know, just you make it up. Like, well, this is what's happening. You create the story in your head, and this is how we're going to go. That's why I say that, like, a lot of this movie is so lazy. Okay, so we get to the MVP. This is a hard one. <laughs> I look at the MVP in one of two ways. Yeah, me, me too. And I, I wonder if you're on the same, same, same page as so, so, so for one, I already, I already sort of teased this one, which is who's the most valuable person in this entire movie, no matter how much this person is in the movie? And it's got to be Burgess Meredith. He's so good in that small time. And I don't know how much longer he... Uh, he I don't remember exactly when he dies, but he's... I think he died around 96 or 97, like it was a few years later. Because he definitely looks a lot older, right? Because he's, he's a lot thinner, his face is thinner, he looks a lot older, and it is really the last time we would have seen him would have been 82. So this is eight years after Rocky Three, If just pound for pound MVP of this movie, it's him. Okay, that was the same. That was exactly what I was going to say. And I was just like, you like on on a whole, you probably can't give it to somebody who's in one scene. So that was that's my only reason why not not to give it. But like, yeah, as far as like what I enjoyed about this movie is like a hundred percent Burgess Meredith. So who 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 would be the other person that you would think about? Paulie. That that's my second one as well. You know, it comes down to it. Polly is the one who stands up to Tommy Tommy Gunn when Tommy comes to the bar to call out Rocky. You know, Polly is the one who fights this corner. He he ends up taking the shot a shot, shot for it. But uh, you know, it, it, you know it it shows that level of lo- loyalty to to, uh, it, it, to Rocky. And you know, I think you know I said at the start. You, you know, um, Bert Young ha- had mentioned that you know he felt that and he included himself in this, that a lot of people looked at this one as kind of a cash-in movie. 
I feel like he was really the one who put his heart into it. If, if anyone, I feel like Paulie is the character who carried this. And, you know, a big part of that is because the parts that I like of this film are the humour and, you know, Paulie is such a hand in that. The uh, the other part about that, um, when it comes to the Paulie character, is he sort of takes Adrian's place in Rocky Balboa, right? So... He, so Burt Young becomes much more of that confidant of of really Rocky's best friend uh, in in the in the in the further telling of this story, and I you sort of see the transition in this film, like in, in Rocky Four, um, he is still sort of like the complainer and the selfish person though he's he he's he's growing a little bit cuz he's in Rocky's corner and he's rooting his buddy on but in this movie even though he does cause all the problems he is starting to become that best friend person and the, Rock, and it, Rocky's right hand man and like you know in the other prop, uh, films when he was the cause of problems it was largely you know his fault or he was uh I suppose, like, you know, he was creating the problems. In this one, the problem that came was, like, it was not, you know, there was nothing Paulie did necessarily wrong. He just didn't understand what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So uh, it is is a good movie for Burt Young. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, it's not it's not as much of an acting performance as it is. He's he's probably got the best lines and he's written in a way that. Uh, really is is some of the humor, so I appreciate that uh, a lot. And and in this film, that's almost enough to to win out. So that that he yeah, th- th- either of those two, depending on what you consider. If you're talking about pound for pound, it's Mick. But if you're talking about a, a main character who who shines, I think it is uh, Paulie. All right, so that's the end of this one, and uh, we will be back for Rocky Balboa, which. I will say that when that movie came out and I'd missed the Rocky character for then 16 years, I watched that movie probably, um, gosh, I probably had watched it. I, I saw it uh, on the first day it came out. I saw it twice in the, in the same day. And then when the Blu-ray came out, you know, I'd watched it a bunch of different times. And then it became... Uh, the movie that I'd watch while I was wrapping Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. And so that it kind of became that for a little while. But I will say I haven't seen it in about five or six years. So I, I will sort of be seeing it with uh, with a little bit of fresh eyes. And so I'm really looking forward to that rewatch. All right. So uh, thanks to uh, uh, thanks to doing. Uh, we will be back with Rocky Balboa on the next episode. <laughs> 